windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nook is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Sandos and the sidekick back with you. And uh, I'm in lovely, spacious Lawrence, Kansas. Mike Gallagher back in the studio. A lot to talk about. We've got football to talk about, basketball, men's and women's. Jay versus pros or pros versus Jays. I always forget how that's worded. And then last but not least, bold predictions. And uh, Mike, it uh, was an outstanding trip after what we went through in Illinois. I would uh, like to report we had no <laughs> issues getting to Lawrence, Kansas. We are here at an outstanding hotel. Well, that's nice to hear because if we remember back to Illinois, I think it was, let's see, the series of events. Maybe I should let you lay them out since you were there, but meals at 1220 in the morning in the airport <sighs> and not arriving, it seemed like, until a few hours before game time at the hotel. Can you... Harken back to some of those times. I know it's not the uh, way you want to start the show, but a big-time <laughs> opponent, really the last big-time opponent for ETSU was Illinois in terms of a quote-unquote Power 5 high major, and now Kansas, which is obviously uh, much bigger in terms of recent success and historical success. Well, and the one tie, Bill Self used to be the head coach at Illinois. She could maybe do that as well. But I, I think there was just running jokes uh, amok yesterday between everybody that was on that trip last year. And it started innocent enough. You know, you fly from Tri-Cities to Atlanta. It was fine. And it was a, it was a delay. And then we were told it was um, some lightning and fog. And we were supposed to land about 30 minutes away from Champaign, Illinois. Um, and instead it was like, well, okay, well, we – could get you to St. Louis or Chicago. They're two or three hours away. I'm like, well, we'll wait a little bit. And then eventually got to the point where it was like, okay, we're going to get to Chicago. Then we're going to get a bus. We're going to bus you over. And then we get on the flight. You know, we're been told because there's a six-hour layover from there to there that no trouble with the bags. And we get there. There's no bags. And we're like, okay, uh, it's like 11 o'clock at night. we got a two-hour ride. Uh, we have to order, cancel all the food we'd had ordered had food delivered to us uh, to the airport in Chicago. They didn't have all those meals. Then um, the bus we were waiting on to take us got a flat tire. I mean, you can't even make that up. So then the the bus driver's waiting on another bus. We get there. We get in about 4 a.m. I think technically it's like 3.30 central. Uh, But considering we'd got to the airport like 8 a.m., at Tri-Cities, and then the bags weren't there, and then the next morning we get the bags. Well, literally about 15 minutes before we're supposed to go to the arena, nobody has um, showered. You're still wearing the same thing you wore yesterday. They get our clothes to us. It was like, all right, guys, if you think you can shower in 10 minutes, get dressed. So it was the only game of my life I did uh, in a jumpsuit that I'd wore from the previous day. So uh, it was lovely, smelly. I think I had a toboggan on. Uh, did the broadcast in the game appropriately, went the way probably the travel did. So we did not have any of that. Uh, that was probably that in a nutshell. And then, we, by the way, we decided to bus home uh, 11 hours instead of trying not to deal with that. Not that I can blame that. anyone for wanting to do that after the kerfuffle that you had with all the flight arrangements. Oh, no. And we didn't have any trouble. Uh, we had two more flights, I think, after that. Didn't have any trouble. And so far this year, hadn't had any trouble. So it was good to get here. It's uh, obviously uh, nostalgic. We'll talk about that uh, in the second segment because um, – uh, probably four or five hours before tip they're actually going to take the guys and myself too over to see the uh, basketball hall of fame and so wow. i'm looking forward to that on top of other stuff and the hotel is beautiful uh didn't even know it was here it looks like apparently it's not that old but it looks like it's it's a castle of stone and second and fifth level terraced overlooking the football stadium I mean, it's unbelievable uh, set up here in lawrence but football may be a nice tie-in by the way 
on the open, you heard the J.J. German, you know, he got at Sanford. Uh, it's actually the third-year anniversary of that. So uh, happy third-year anniversary, J.J. German, game winner, uh, knocking off Sanford 15-14. And maybe uh, not the smoothest segue into football I could come up with, but we can do that now as uh, record-breaking. I mean, can you say anything other than the game at Mercer besides Quay Holmes? Well, let's Randy Sanders try and do so. I thought we had a good plan coming in. I thought I, I really liked what we had prepared and the way we had prepared offensively. I thought defensively we had a good plan. The run game, uh, Mercer had a few predictable looks in the way they lined up to a couple formations, and I thought we did a good job taking advantage of that early. All that being said, you still got to block. You still got to execute the runs and, and do that. And I thought our line did a great job. Tide is did a great job. And uh, it was good to see those two runs pop out of there early like they did it was interesting because randy sanders really didn't have much to say about quay holmes it was about the tight ends the fullbacks the offensive line and he threw in in his comments about quay yeah you know the tailback has to do a good job too but all these other things were working really well and talked about the game plan and such and um, all the talk is going to be about quay holmes so i think coach sanders trying to shed some light on the other groups that made that possible and really what makes any record-breaking performance possible those around you yeah, and I think the, the the one thing that stuck out of me in there is the fact that he saw something on tape over and over again yep. and thought uh, in the first, you know, scripted ten plays, I'm going to run something to see if they adjust to that or if we can hit it. And I think if we went a little further in that or, or later in the conversation, he kind of admitted, like, I thought, you know, we would have 10, 12, you know, get to that deep second third level you know big gainers you know i didn't see 64 74 and uh you know in the 64 yard run the safety had an angle and then 74 t will just kind of sold out and tripped up Holmes enough to slow him down for harrison pool um to, to sort of track him down there inside the 10 or he would have scored there but we had a uh, ETS, you had a couple of chances to really pop um some runs and score but quay Holmes. Uh, you know, when you get a 64- and 74-yard run, it has to start, generally, I would say, with something up front. And then Holmes has to make at least one man miss. I mean, very rarely do you see 64-74 unless you completely fool the defense where somebody goes untouched. Generally, there's you know, you catch them in some numbers games. One guy has a shot. You make him miss, and then you go. Uh, and then even Jacob Sailors, I think he was quick to point out that Jacob Sailors even uh, was able to hit some big runs on his his eight carry. And that maybe gets lost in the shuffle, too. I mean, he had 10 yards to carry at eight for 80. 410 yards total rushing. Let me just state this, because listening to the broadcast of Eden Studio for this, I think one of the most absurd statements I've ever heard was Matt Wiljam saying, well, this is what we really expected from the offense this year. Uh, Matt, nobody expected 410 yards and 526 <laughs> total yards. I, I mean, I, even the most optimistic of person would have never said, oh, we're going to go for 400 a game, and this is the type of offense that ETSU is going to hang their hat on this year. They were that type of offense last year and when they won six games in conference and won the Southern Conference title and went to the NCAA playoffs. So uh, that in the broadcast stood out in my mind. What stood out, obviously, otherwise was the big early runs and setting the tone. And I don't think that you're ever going to get the consistent – amount of production that you would expect after you start with four carries for 145 yards as Quay Holmes did you sit and look and say okay now it's like 150 155 we're approaching halftime like 173 yeah he's kind of slowed down but he set the bar so high with those first two huge runs with the 64 yarder the 74 yarder averaging like you said in the broadcast I think it was 38 and three quarters yards per run or whatever it was but turned it on late and what I thought was really impressive was just the way that the Bucks controlled the line of scrimmage when it mattered I mean going up into that last possession the game was still in doubt you know Tyree Devison his performance is going to be overshadowed by Quay Holmes but 29 for 168 and four scores in any other game in the country on Saturday that would have been an eye-popping number but you look across the box score and 26 for 255 and three touchdowns is obviously going to garner all the headlines here's coach Sanders again first and 33 I, I don't know that I've ever overcome many first and 33s and I'm sure that's one that will be thought of a lot on that bus ride back to Macon tonight. That, that can't be a, a great thought to have. I, I know how that would haunt me. You know, we, we get a nice run. We run draw for, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 yards, whatever it was. Uh, get a part of it back. Quarterback does a great job. Reads, uh, you know, this defense trying to disguise their coverage. He does a good job reading it. Uh, hits Keith Coffey out there. A comeback and I really thought Keith had a chance to make the first down. I didn't know he'd run out of bounds on it. Then we get third and seven, and we have a receiver open, get a little bit of pressure. 
the one thing that Tyler brings to us, and, you know, Trey's done a great job this year, and I'm so thankful that we've had Trey. But the one thing Tyler brings to the table that Trey doesn't is the ability to pull that ball down and make a play with his legs. Made a play with his legs and converted that third and seven, as you say, and got us down there in a position to score. And that was, that was a huge touchdown. And just overcoming those two penalties was, uh, I think, a huge momentum swing. Yeah, talking about back-to-back penalties, I thought that was also one of the big swinging points of the game was you're faced with first and forever. And I'm not sure that I've seen in a situation like that a team pick up the amount of yards needed. Officially, it was first and 31 um, this was in the I think early fourth quarter it was 31 to 26 and you look at Mercer who had um, just scored to make it a one score game again it was 31 to 20 they come down and uh, really an 81 yard drive that was over six minutes kind of controlling the ball a bit themselves don't get the two-point conversion so it's 31 to 26 going into the fourth really the touchdown from Riley to Ellington for four yards was first play of the fourth but uh, essentially the beginning of the fourth quarter and ETSU answers 11 plays for 72 yards but along the way first and 31 and it's Rydell to coffee for 15. Rydell rushes for eight um, uh, to get the first down, and that was all after a Quay Holmes first and 31 run for nine yards. Uh, as impressive as I've seen the ETSU offense this year, especially in that situation, all day long they were great, but really faced with the impossible, they flipped the momentum back in their favor at a key time in the game. Yeah, I thought the big thing was every time something kind of went against ETSU, this was the first game maybe all season they've overcame everything. It's it's not absolutely everything, but for the most part, if something did go awry, they were able to recover and and make plays. And I think it did start with that nine-yard run, you know, to kind of say, okay, it's kind of manageable. And it was a little odd that Keith Coffey had enough room to kind of turn and get upfield, step out of bounds. But still, that was a solid read and throw from Rydell. And then again, the mobility that he talked about was able to to get a first and then – you know, you sort of you punch it in, and you're thinking, okay, now now th- this is a game that that's kind of gone ETSU's way because the first half went about as good, I think, as you could imagine, uh, as far as everything kind of going. I mean, even the end of the first half with the uh, uh, Smith play that led to the touchdown to take the lead, but I mean that just that drive sort of I think let everybody that maybe doubt and. and I think most Buck fans, because you've seen the way it had, I think, you know, it's warranted doubt. But I think there was some doubt starting to creep in as, oh, okay, it's 5.8, here we go again, right? And it's like, okay, here we go, we got a first and 10. Oh, no, wait a minute, it's first and 33. And then you look at a few other things. And so then, uh, and, and it was back-to-back penalties too. That was the, the, the double whammy of the live ball, dead ball. It was a hold uh, in which I think Coach Sanders made a joke that Juwan Martin made a heck of a tackle on the play and forgets he's not a linebacker, and then there was the dead ball foul, and so that's how you got to the first and 33. But that drive and, and to put him up two scores just, just you know made the margin for error for Mercer just uh, very little, if any. Well, you know, and I was convinced was after that drive, I, I thought that that was it. But then Mercer answers, and I was on the other side of things right after that. I, I said once that touchdown happened and you have the kickoff where – Artavia Smith inexplicably makes a fair catch after he catches the ball on the kickoff. Immediately what came into my mind, and, and I don't know about you and Matt and Don and Robert, but Furman, last year, uh, I thought that this year, and I've been harping on this the entire season, has been so inverse of what we saw last season. Remember, Furman had the guy take a knee or whatever it was at the three-yard line after ETSU had tied the score, of course, down 21, come back with Austin Herrick and take a knee, and then the game-winning safety. Uh, that's what came into my mind, and things were going to come full circle. I literally said out loud, I can't believe this. This is just like last season. We're going to lose this game just like Furman lost the game on a kickoff mistake, a kickoff mishap, but just a mental faux pas by Artavius Smith, just like Furman had last year. And like you said, every time something went against ETSU, like Artavius Smith having that mental lapse on the kickoff, uh, calling the fair catch after he caught the ball, and the ball being on the five-yard line, backed up in their own territory, they stepped up, and they owned it, and they didn't let that mistake affect them. Quay Holmes for 9, 10, 6, 3, 8, 3, and then the record breaker, 21. I don't know if it's just me. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, yeah, firm it. 
but that's instantly what flashed into my mind, and it just seemed too cruel to actually be true because we've had the one-score games going into this past week against Mercer being 1-6 this year, 6-1 and one last season, and it just would have been such horrific irony if that would have been what caused DTSU the game. Thankfully, it wasn't. Here's Randy Sanders. He's coming along. He started in the fall well. I thought he was uh, going to progress faster than what he did. And then he kind of hit that freshman wall, and that freshman wall slapped him upside the head hard. And honestly, it lasted probably six, seven weeks before he was able to overcome it, and then we almost had to start over with him. Tried to give him a lot of work, give him a lot of reps. I really expected him to... Going back to August, I expect him to be able to step in and play a whole lot more. Probably, I don't know, second week of October, uh, I thought he would be able to somewhere around there. I thought it it was going to take about five, six, maybe even seven weeks, but he would be uh, in position to really help us win some football games at quarterback. It it took a little longer than I expected because he hit that freshman wall so hard, but made a lot of progress. We still got a lot of work to do, and he he does some good things. He He does some freshman things. It's good to see him get out there and compete. The one thing he does do is compete. He has a little uh, arrogance about him that I think the players like. That's about the mayor, Tyler Idell, 8 of 12, 116, and a touchdown. And this is the part of the season, Jay, where we start to talk about and think about the future, right? You're done with the conference season. You've got Vanderbilt coming up on Saturday, which is your last game of 2019. And I think there's a lot of question marks regarding Tyler Idell and, of course, the quarterback position overall. But I thought he looked very good through his first career touchdown. In fact, his first touchdown at the collegiate level, regardless of how he got it, didn't have any rushing scores either. So 8-12, 1-16 in the touchdown, that being to Keith Coffey with nine seconds officially left in the second quarter after a crazy sequence of events that looked like they were going to go in Mercer's favor and all of a sudden uh, interception that's batted around and it looked like maybe passed forward but actually fumbled because uh, the returner hit the butt, I'll just say butt, of a guy uh, on his own team. A bit of a butt fumble, as you said, a little Mark Sanchez action uh, right before the half, and all of a sudden things flip on their head, and ETSU gets another score before the half, and it was 31-14. to 14. That's when that touchdown pass came. But is Tyler Idell in the future plans of ETSU? I think that's something that has kind of been on the minds for fans for a while and could potentially still be in the balance, and the young man stepped up on Saturday. I think the biggest question is, is there light at the end of the tunnel uh, at the end of the season? And, and, and whether that be – and I think you started to see it a few weeks ago with Quay Holmes and the offensive line starting to say, hey, I don't care if people stack the box. We're going to be able to run the ball. You know, we're just too talented. we we got to get more physical, and, and they did that. If you look at the last three weeks, the numbers that have gone up and Quay Holmes' numbers have gone up, I think that's number one. And then, you know, number two was, you know, what is the quarterback position? Six guys have taken a snap, right? Uh, when you throw in, I think, Noah West now, I think six guys have taken a snap. That did not include Cade Weldon, who was expected to take the first snap of the year and didn't. So, you're, I mean, you, you, you have that many guys take a snap. There's a lot of questions. I think people were just wondering, you know, is Trey Mitchell going to be the one? Is, you know, is Weldon even going to be able to come back from the injury? What We've all heard about this kid, Rodell. What's he going to do? And I think you're starting to see, okay, now now you can see some things. And, again, and we need to probably next week spend some time looking at the roster like we did last year. Okay. Who is who is not there? Who's coming back? What does somebody think, think about it? But if you look at, you know, the majority of some of the skill positions, they're they're almost all back. I mean, T.J. Spagnoletti or Anthony Spagnoletti, um, you know, him and Braxton Richburg, probably the two that that aren't coming back at the the receiving core. All the other receivers are back. People may have forgotten Wilson got hurt and what you know what he was doing. All the t- he got five tight ends back next year. The top two running backs plus fullback are going to be juniors and sophomores. Then, you you know, there, there was some redshirt freshman. Jalen Williams is, is starting to make some noise trying to get some playing time as well. So so they're all young there, uh, you know, all that. So what what's going to happen? Offensive line probably. But we, we can spend a lot looking back at that. But the QB position clearly been a focal point in the season because so many people had had to step in and, and, and try to put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, and so hopefully Rydell, and I think he did not play a couple games ago, so he's only played in three. And so he should be able to play against Vanderbilt. But there will be some guys that you have been seeing rotated in 
that have played their four games that Coach Sanders openly said, hey, with a 3-8 and eight team, there is no sense burning somebody a whole year for somebody when they can help us down the road the next four years. So there will be um, even a shorter bench for ETSU versus Vandy coming up. Yeah, and what I hope is that Tyler Idell's future plans with ETSU, whether it be from the coaching side and whether the coaches want to give him a chance to win the job out of camp next year or from Tyler's side, if he is feeling like he's going to have a chance to do that, he's very confident. And Coach Sanders even said maybe a bit arrogant, uh, brash young man that believes in himself. And there's nothing wrong with that, certainly. Um, so if he is told, you know, you gave a shot, um, we're bringing in these guys and we think that they're ahead of you and he decides to go elsewhere as well. I just hope it doesn't come down to the Vanderbilt game simply because – that's not a fair test of what you're going to deal with at this level. I, I don't know um, what the plan is for Saturday, but I believe you are right. I think it was – I can't remember which game it was that Chance Thrasher came in through the interception. That was the game that um, – That was Rydell the Citadel game. Yep, the Citadel game, and that was yep. the game that Rydell didn't play. So it was Thrasher taking some of Rydell's snaps, and Coach Sanders just said after uh, Chance Thrasher had a better week in practice. That's why he got those snaps. Uh, Noah West is one person we haven't talked on. Uh, I do want to talk about that cool moment, I thought. I think it was a 41-yard, basically. Um, everybody go right, including the ball carrier. Noah West broke one. But first, I do want to hear from Quay Holmes, who had some uh, really selfless things to say post-game about his record-breaking performance. It's really just a team effort. You know, I go out there, and I just want to do the best I can do for the team. I don't go out there wanting to get all the, all the shine and, and all the praise. I just want us to get these wins you know we didn't come across a lot but just trying to run hard and do what I can do so our team can be successful. Uh, Quay Holmes is as we've talked about extensively on the show um, just the type of guy that you want in your team uh, always gives props and praise to everyone else never is going to take credit for a big day like he had never is going to say that he is the best running back in the Southern Conference. Uh, and I know there's been some impressive other perfor performances this year, namely Alex Ramsey, but I think Quay Holmes has proven it two years in a row now. He also did say in that interview with Robert Harper postgame, there was somebody that asked me in the second press conference of the year what some of my goals were, didn't want to talk about it. Firstly, that was me. Uh, and secondly... I was waiting, waiting for you to, to, to somehow self-promote. That was that me. Was you. I was hoping you were going to play the quote so I could crush you on it. But uh, no, which was a valid question that he said. Completely valid question, and he didn't want to talk about it. I think namely because he didn't want to bring attention to himself and what some may perceive as "quote unquote" selfish goals. Right? You always, I think, as a fan, are used to hearing the really politically correct things of, "Oh, you know, we're just going to go out and try and win the Southern Conference and get back to the NCAA playoffs and whatever I have to do to help the team is what I'm going to do." But you should have individual goals, right? Because your individual goals are going to help the team. And it did come to light. He said that. While he wouldn't say it at that time in the press conference after the Appalachian State game that one of his goals was to break the single-game rushing record, but that was one of them. And you remember in bold predictions that I said that he was going to uh, get to 1,500 yards, which doesn't look like it's going to happen, but hey, you never know with Quay Holmes. Uh, what would he need, like 400 yards against Vanderbilt? It's he, probably he not going to happen. He uh, No, he's, he's – he's, uh, he'd only, yeah, I think it's 350, but that's okay. <laughs> so, he, anyway, so anyway, point being, uh, Quay Holmes at that time didn't want to talk about it. Obviously got there this time. Uh, so Quay Holmes and Noah West, your thoughts on both. Obviously he, Noah didn't have a great moment later in the game, but that 41-yard run uh, helped rack up 410 on the ground for ETSU. Quay was also upset he, he, that uh, he wasn't able to get to 1,000 last year. So that was – I think he mentioned that right. as well, get, getting to 1,000 yards. So that was a couple of, of – of, goals that he wanted to get uh, and then Noah West I'd watch Thursday I'm sorry Friday's walkthrough <laughs> and noticed I was like who in the world right is taking a snap and it was basically you know the old school student body right that they used to say which is just basically a, a toss sweep and every human being goes to the right and that's basically what it was and they just said okay we're not going to give unlike Malik McGue who sometimes gives different looks hands it off throws it whatever this is just a former high school option quarterback that stands about 6'3 230 and they said hey uh, if we're in a short yard situation and I was told they're going to do it on the goal line because I'd asked a couple of staff members on Saturday morning I'm like hey I saw Noah West out there what is and they said well we think you know if it's a goal line you know just unblock you know extra guys that, that can block and take you know whatever see if we can score and the next thing you know he runs out there so I was at least prepared to see it but I didn't realize he could run, 
you know, and again, he's a tight end for a reason, right? He doesn't have the breakaway speed, but to, to bust through the good. line. Oh, it wasn't bad. A guy had to have an angle. <clears throat> Excuse me, a guy had to have an angle on him to make the play. But, I mean, I was excited to, to, to see that in general. I mean, one, I thought it was a beautiful job of knowing, you know, the offense had been limited some this year, to, and that's probably an understatement. And then to put somebody in the right spot to succeed and to see them succeed I thought was was wonderful. And then it's unfortunate. I thought Matt Wilgham did bring up a good point on the second. You know what? I don't think he said it on there. On on the fumble, when they try to run it a second time, when you're a quarterback, you have different shoulder pads than the rest of the team. And because you need more of that arm, you know, above your head, throwing range motion well a lot of the other players don't have that because you need more protection for taking shots on the shoulder and such and so matt was quick to point out hey when a ball snapped that high and you're a tight end or something fullback something like that like your shoulder pad you can't get your arms up like you would as a quarterback you don't have that range of motion and then it it made for an awkward looking play for noah and then i thought it was interesting to Matt to quick come to the defense, and I, th- I don't think he said that on air. Actually, I think he said it right afterwards. I think I remember like, hearing it, which makes me think that he did. He say may it on have, air, he but. may have said it on air, but I, I thought that was interesting to hear the diff- you know something that sort of inside the game sometimes you don't think about, right? That that's nothing that I would think about. You know, equipment or something like that could hinder you know one play over another because of the positions played. But it, it kind of made sense. But I, I love the play. I, th- I thought it was great. Again, he's one of the talented freshmen that's that's. Uh, you know, going to be redshirted, getting a few games in, and we'll be a, a redshirt freshman going into next season. And the, the four or five tight ends they got going into next year. I mean, Randy Sanders, you know, has talked at, at length about maybe going just to a two tight end set because they're so talented at tight end and just give people a lot of run looks and throw out of the run looks, you know, instead of predictable, you know, passing formations that he may actually go that route. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, with the makeover of the roster, see what happens. I don't think ETSU has that many – because they filled so many slots the last couple of years, I think there's only about 17 scholarships, give or take, instead of, you know, around the 20 to 25 range that we've seen, or 22 to 25 range the last couple of years. So, be interesting to see with the limited number. And of course, there's always attrition somewhere that you don't know about. Rather, you know, unfortunately, somebody did something in school, or just decides, hey, I want to go play somewhere else, or other things happen. But, but I think going into uh, this off season right now, I think there's only about 17 scholarships to give, and so it's they're going to have to be very selective at certain positions for sure. Well, don't bury the season yet. We still got Vanderbilt on Saturday, and we'll talk about that on I think Thursday as we're going to break down that game. And also for Matt Wilgham, if he didn't say that take on air and he saves takes like this is what we expected from the ETSU offense all along for air, what are you doing, Matt Wilgham? Prioritizing these type of takes? I don't understand it. Uh, well, you know he's he's not a media guy like we are full time. Right? He's a he's a part time media guy, so sometimes those part timers not sure what to do with it. Five hundred twenty six so. yards, we expected it all along. I I listen. I, I I said, is it too much to ask to have five hundred yards of offense? Now I thought it would be more of like the three, the the, the three hundred uh, two hundred or the two fifty two fifty. Is that fair? Can I, can I get two fifty two fifty? All right, we'll talk about that later. Yes, I know. I've lost my mind now. Calm it down. We've had one game of 500 yards now. I expect it every time. I get you, Mike. All right, let's talk a little basketball. Steps out for a timeout. San Jose Sidekicks is the Buccaneers Force Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and a sidekick back with you on this Tuesday. And, again, just some crossover season's lovely. Sometimes uh, we just have to try to figure out what me and Mike can get together to do the podcast. And uh, Mike yesterday went to North Carolina, saw the North Carolina A&T Aggies, I believe, right? The Aggies? That's right. I uh, I think in my preview called them the Bulldogs. So that was smart. Uh, the Aggies. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and that was off the cuff. I don't. Uh, and and I've been there. I've been to North Carolina Central. I've been to a few. Uh, so was it Savannah State a couple years ago? So been to a couple HBCUs. Um, I think one of my favorites was Morgan State in Baltimore. That was a. That was actually one of the nicer ones. Sometimes uh, they're older, just because uh, just the tradition and everything else. So I, I, I kind of I've been there. I kind of know. I suspect where you work. Can you break down where you actually were broadcasting from? Well, firstly, the mascot is confusing because it's Aggie the Bulldog. And so I was just turned around because I figure Aggie is the name of the mascot, right? Aggie the Bulldog. So it's the Bulldogs, but it's the Aggies, apparently, even though they have Dog Pound postered all around Corbett Sports Center. So very, very confusing. Uh, I called this game on like a perch in a corner by the DJ by the entrance to the arena where you're in like yeah. a meeting between the baseline and the sideline about 30 feet up and maybe 30 feet from the court which I had never done and uh the call suffered let me <laughs> let me just throw that out there it was not my best work and unfortunately late on not the best work of the bucks either and this game was close throughout really uh there were some ebbs and flows ETSU was up 8 at the half and then goodness in that third quarter Things got away from them a little bit, but they were only down five after the third quarter. Sania McRae just came out really hot from the halftime break, hit a couple of threes, and the Aggies just chipped away at the lead, had a three-point play that was not converted, but that was right before the first media timeout. And if Jasmine Walton would have made the free throw, it would have been tied with 3.54 to go as it was. The Aggies continued to pour it on in that third quarter, ended up outscoring the Bucs 28-15. to But it was 53-48, to and again, it never seems like any deficit is too big for the CTSU squad this year. As Sierra Purdue made a free throw with four seconds left in the third to go in down five after you withstood kind of an onslaught from the home team, I thought was all right. I thought you were in okay shape. It was a two-point game with 8.36 to go and two-point game with 5.33 to go. And then it was a tie game after Elise Stafford made her only three of the day, 60-60 to 60 with 4.11 to go, but free throws once again, and we over and over harp on it, and I don't want it too much here because it's just been a running theme, but right before Stafford made that three, Erica Haynes-Overton missed two free throws, and after that, the three-pointer by Stafford, seven more free throws consecutively missed, so nine straight free throws that ETSU missed from the under five minute mark to about one minute left. So over that four minute stretch and obviously North Carolina A&T with the Bucks not coming away with points on a lot of possessions were able to go on a run. It was 10 to nothing that run to make it 70 to 60 with 157 to go. And really it was all over from there, but very interesting place to call a game, uh, a poor call by me. And uh, unfortunately for the Bucks, a poor three or four minutes really did them in. So I feel like, I feel like the disadvantage for you yeah. is the fact that you how many high school games have you called in your career? Very, very few. See, I think that's the disadvantage. Mm-hmm. I had come and did uh, four or five years of high school because we played them fairly early in my broadcast career. And so there's a lot of high school places sort of they just got to – and this is, you know, back in the day when they were trying to get you a phone line. And then eventually cell, uh, cell phones got better. The problem was when you try to do cell phones, especially in the early days, you almost had like a bag phone, you know, the old car bag phone, and you had this weird antenna you had to hook up, and so you had to go. So if you could get a phone line, it was – you would you would move everything, heaven and earth, no matter what the angle was because you were like, hey, I could stay on air the whole time as opposed to whatever it would be. So I had done several of those where you're – like even at Tennessee High where they run the Arby's Classic and have so many broadcast teams come in, you would sit above. they got four corner scoreboards at at the corners of the court, so you're diagonal from it and up a little bit, probably not up as high if I remember correctly where where you were, but you're still over there. And um, I'm trying to find a sneeze here, Mike. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a pro. So um, you kind of get in there, and then eventually you just kind of go with, okay, this is my left, this is my right, regardless of what's going on. And you almost have to just sell it that way. There's a sneeze. Oh, man. There I know. I tried to, tried to try to meet it. Woo. <laughs> it's fighting that off for a minute, man. The allergies. So this is the one thing about travel season. When you uh, suffer from a lot of allergies and, and uh, hay fever and you get uh, some good temperature swings, it uh, really does you some wonders. But uh, going back to my point, just when you get in those spots, I mean, you almost just have to just sell out and go, okay, when they go this way, this is just my right. Because for the most part, 
a lot of people still don't try to sync up a web stream and a radio broadcast. Right. Now, we encourage it. We think you should because it just adds, if nothing else, it adds a little more um, texture, I think, to the broadcast from, you know, where we're able to try to give you a little more information than the TV people because, you know, TV broadcasts, are, there are certain things they want to stay away from because they feel like, well, you can see it. Right. But in the same token, I think people still like – there's some old school people I think that still like that. And the other thing is they want to hear information about their team, right? So so you want to hear an ETSU broadcast or North Carolina A&T specific broadcast as opposed to neutral. I know somebody's probably screaming at the podcast. They're not all neutral. I get it. You know, everywhere you go isn't isn't as neutral as other places or whatever. But that's the way it should be. But I, the, the good thing is, is if people can just deal with, okay, all right, that that's whatever you're saying is true. And I think people take broadcasters word for it maybe too much. I think in, in, in some instances, but I think if you just sold out and said, all right, if they go this way, I'm just going to call it left or right or whatever it is. And then you probably got in a situation where you just haven't done it a lot. And then you, and, and because Mike, you're a thinker, I'm not, see, I'm just, I'm just going with the flow and, and you're probably overly uh, thinking things. I think that's what it came down to. I tend to overthink everything. You know how that is. Well, you don't know how it is, but you know being around me how I am when I get in those situations. And, yeah, I, I am very court geography oriented when I'm calling a game. And so then when you're in a different angle, things geographically aren't to you and your broadcast position what they were when you're a court side. And it was a very interesting arena, Corbett Sports Center. They say they can pack 6,700 in there. Uh, if you saw the pictures on ETSU Women's Basketball, ETSU underscore WBB on Twitter, then you could see that there's some really good things about the arena, but what were omitted from some of those pictures were the big, solid bleachers that you'd probably have to pack 1,000 per side, maybe 1,500 per side in to fit 6,700 in there. It looked a lot more like a 3,000, 3,500-person arena. Here's a question. You're next to the DJ. Were you allowed to suggest songs? <laughs> well, the DJ, it was interesting because he didn't really play any music pregame. And so then I'm on air the entire time, and I turn around, and he's kind of, you know, spinning his spinning his jams and such, and he's in the middle of things. I'm in the middle of things, and so unfortunately, no. He was a very nice guy, though. Uh, point being, though, on the game itself, uh, really unfortunate one to lose because ETSU was right there. North Carolina A&T's perennially a MEAC power. They went undefeated in their league last year, so this is by no means a bad loss. They have struggled early the last four years, as we talked about, um, I think it was on Friday when we were previewing this a bit or just looking forward to it. Uh, but slow starters, you know, nine of their first 11 last year they lost and five of their first seven year before that and seven of eight before that and four in a row to start the year in 2015-16. So they don't play their best basketball early on. And to be able to catch a team like that that's got strength, size, and Coach Zell said postgame and pregame that she saw, thought maybe the most athletic team, say perhaps the University of Tennessee, that the Bucks would see all year, to be right there and then for something like free throws to be the thing that changes the game, ETSU is kind of used to it, though, just frustrating. Just, and it, it's contagious. It always is contagious. It's unbelievable when you <clears throat> miss free throws. It just carries on. Well, I'm going to get this out in a minute. But when when one person, especially somebody that's good at free throws, this is what always, I think, happens. If somebody is very good at free throws, all of a sudden they go over two. And the next person goes in the line. For whatever reason, they, they don't fall. In the same token, it's the opposite, I think, sometimes with three-point shooting. If a good three-point shooter hits a couple early, and they get the first touches, then all of a sudden everybody on the team feels like, oh, my goodness, I can shoot threes. Like, it, it is so one-sided one way or another. And to have games come down to that and, and to know, I mean, it's just head-scratching. We saw it a lot with the men's team last year as well as the women's team as far as down the stretch games. You're like, man, they're, you know, 6 of 12 or, or 9 of 18, and you're going, if you just hit five of those, you can you can pick up a win here or there. And so that's sort of the, the feeling that, that I got from looking at the stats and kind of rolling through it. We were in the plane pretty much the – the whole game by the time we landed. I think it was a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So uh, really had no kind of game flow until I went back and looked at it in the hotel room. And I like to go through the play-by-play and just kind of feel as best I can the ebb and flow of it and to see miss, miss, miss. You know, just, and then those – and you mentioned it earlier, empty possession, empty possession, empty possession. And then you can see it go to him. But I really think it's, it's just contagious. It, unfortunately, it is. It just it seems that way that if a couple people go and they get up there and overthink it, clank it, next thing you know, uh, it, it just tends to go. So I think that's unfortunate. What I did like about it was I've been waiting on 
Micah Sheets to, to – and now, I, again, I'm not sitting here claiming I, I thought she was going to throw 28 on the board and the career high, but I was really waiting to see because they need her to, to be one of the, the two running mates for, for EHO, right? I mean, they need her to step up. So I'm excited to see her knock it down. I also think Elise Stafford is just – and, and, again, you were there. It, it, it seems like she's getting good looks, just not hitting some open looks. Was it similar uh, in the last game? Well, I had some foul trouble, and so wasn't on the court So wasn't on the floor a lot. Okay. Yeah, as much as she would have been. But that is someone that Coach Zell pointed out after, saying we just need some more consistency from her, and i got to figure out a way to induce that consistency as her head coach. And she did hit the big three to tie the game, but that was one of just her two field goals. And she just wasn't that involved. Neither was Erica Haynes-Overton. And one housekeeping item here, Erica Haynes-Overton did go down with an injury to what appeared to be her left ankle. Turns out it was her left knee. She had her ankle wrapped, so interesting that it was her knee. But she is getting checked out today. Did play, came back after about a three- or four-minute absence the rest of the game and came back on the floor, I think it was about seven minutes in the second quarter, and so was able to go the rest of the way. was a bit gimpy, but we know how her toughness is, right? When that adrenaline gets flowing, there's not a lot that's going to keep her off the court. So with a night of rest, wake up, see how it is when the juices aren't at their highest levels, you know, and that adrenaline isn't carrying you through the contest, how she is getting checked out today. Uh, don't know her status for Thursday against Radford in that morning uh, tip-off, 11 a.m. with Education Day. So uh, she wasn't that involved, eight points, uh, just didn't have it, quote-unquote, is what Coach Zell said, but really not a lot of attempts, honestly. Did turn the ball over four times, did have four more steals, also five rebounds. But, yeah, three of eight is not the amount of shots she's used to getting. Took 31 against Tennessee, of course, and that dropped her from 28 points per game to 22 and a half. Um, Micah Sheets was great, you know, career-high 26 points. Uh, Tiana Kimbrough coming off the bench had to play extended minutes because Shania Jackson was in foul trouble. She only played 11 minutes, and Kimbrough um, was – simply uh you know fantastic i thought defensively while she was trying to guard a pair of bigs that can be really challenging and alexis lasiers and also jayla jones pack um those two really kind of had their way for some of the game but once kimbrough adjusted to how she needed to defend she actually ended up being all right and also had a couple of scores herself pulled down a uh, total of six rebounds, which was a team high for ETSU. So uh, anyway, point being, um, Erica going to get checked out. Needs more consistency from Elise. Shania got in foul trouble. Micah, career high. Kaya Upton did fantastically as well. Um, had 10 points, um, which uh, is not a category she's used to being in double figures in, you know, not consistently at least. And uh, you had Tiana Kimbrough off the bench. So just the cliff note version of what was a tough loss, especially considering that ETSU didn't have to face Deja Winters, the leading scorer for North Carolina A&T, and CC Foy only scored four points. If you would have told me those two things would have happened for the Aggies, it would have been a victory for the Bucks. I think, nine times out of ten. And the women back in action Thursday morning, 11 a.m. education game. Well, I'm assuming we're just going to podcast after the game. Might as well, right? Sounds good to me. And so we'll get that all, all there. Switching gears, men's basketball. First of all, I got a chance to walk in Allen Arena for the first time. It was every bit as great as advertised. Um, it's one of those to where, again, it's been there so long, they haven't done a lot to it because they don't need to do a lot to it. So there's not like uh, a lot of fancy seating here and there, a lot of chair backs, um, the old wooden chair fold downs for the high dollar seats. I mean, it's really kind of interesting. And, and I put a quick video up there if you either follow me or, or uh, Buck Sports Network, I've tagged them so you can see it as well. But it is interesting if you look at it, just how it is. The best thing was concourse level, they've got all the All-Americans and championship band. Just it, it's unbelievable. And, of course, they've got tradition on the women's side as well. So it, it's really well done. We're going to Hall of Fame a little bit later. The one thing I do want to say is it's really not that intimidating for a shooter because I walked in there. Went one for one, top of the key, put the ball in the rack. Pat Good looked at me because I fired the shot top of the key, nothing but net. And I grabbed the ball and I start walking away. <laughs> and he says, uh, are you just going to rack that? I'm like, yes, yes, I am. I'm one, I'm done, I'm a champion, I'm sitting down. And he was like, hmm, that's how you do it. <laughs> and, so, and then I, t- I conned Kevin Brown or SID to take a shot. He goes one for one. So I don't know if that's a good sign or not. Um, but there's a couple things. Kansas has played 12 Southern Conference teams. They are 12-0. and ETSU has played 12 Big 12 teams. Uh, now, again, I have to go back and do a little research if they actually were all were in the Big 12 or whatever. But the Big 12 teams as they stand now. And ETSU is 0-12 there. So um, I don't know if that's good, bad, and different, but uh, something's got to give. I will say this. The people 
of Kansas are very aware of who ETSU is. And, again, I love when, when ETSU gets to play a lot of savvy, basketball-knowledgeable teams. And the Kentuckys, the, the Daytons, actually, North Carolinas, and Kansas, when we walk in the door, people don't just know what the E stands for and have to ask us. Uh, and I'm talking about walking in the door, not in the arena, like in a hotel or something. And people walk up, oh, yeah, Eastern State, you guys are really good. Just give it a And then to, to read what's already been written by a lot of um, people that cover Kansas, you can imagine there's a, a plethora of news sources covering the Jayhawks and what they're saying. And a couple guys called last night, want to see if they could talk to me, want to see if they could talk to Coach Forbes. And the fact that they're talking about how we're a better matchup for them than Colorado coming up and some other teams. I mean, so this is a this is a game where normally you kind of like to fly under the radar. This is not it at all. The Kansas Jayhawks are very aware. Bill Self has basically mentioned a lot uh, of just how great they are and everything they do and how much uh, this is the toughest test they've had. This could be the toughest test they have in, until they get into conference play. He, he's the, I mean, they play Duke, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. So uh, he he's mentioned a lot of things like that. The other thing is, is they are very familiar, Coach Self, and Coach Forbes, everything that ETSU runs is similar to what Kansas runs. So, point being, I don't think either team is going to be fooled by anything they see offensively and defensively because they go against it every single day in practice. So, this game is going to come down to a couple of things. Can ETSU execute, especially on the defensive end, and not give up a lot of one, don't give up a lot of threes? If they do give up shots, give up twos because Kansas so far early this season not a great three-point shooting team are they going to be able to rebound but Kansas most importantly wants to run off turnovers which is what ETSU wants to do so if ETSU has a lot of turnovers it's going to be very difficult because what gets the crowd I think fired up more than 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 even like a three or I think a steal and a dunk right I think that's when home fans tend to lose their mind and when you get you know 16,000 plus you know in in Fog Allen uh, uh, Arena going nuts on you. I think it's very tough for people to recover. So I think the live ball turnovers are going to be critical in this game. So that's sort of a quick my thoughts on it. Mike, what are yours? Well, they've got two of the best players in college basketball, Udoka Azabuke and Devin Dotson. And I looked back to the UNCG game to see what the separator was there. It was a relatively, I guess, comfortable win for Kansas. I mean, at home when you're against a mid-major and win by 12, you know, how comfortable is it really? I'm sure there were some murmurs in the stands at some point in the second half, but it really was double digits from about the 15-minute point on. And you look at the matchup and statistically how it came out, there wasn't a lot that separated those two teams. And I think you and me are both in agreement that ETSU pegged as a Southern Conference favorite. That was the correct place to put them. And at least on paper and with the talent that ETSU returns with the mindset of the team on the defensive end and the options they have on the offensive end, it is the best team in the Southern Conference. It is a team that if you matched up the Spartans and the Bucks today, UNCG and ETSU, and say it was a Southern Conference championship game, I feel very confident that the Bucks would win. So I, I think that if you're carrying ETSU into Allen Fieldhouse versus Kansas rather than UNCG, you're looking at a tighter game. So the fact that it was 74-62 to 62 when things were all said and done, I think that's a very positive indicator for the Bucks. But Dotson had 22, and I thought the really big thing was, was exactly what you talked about, three-point shooting, because if they're going to make 10 threes tonight, that's going to be tough to overcome. If ETSU does do a good job of, of, of getting down in the paint, Kansas collapses, there's a guy open in the corner, they share the ball, they get a look, I think you, you've got to be able to hit that look. But, you know, in these games for ETSU in the past, it's, it's really been what has hurt ETSU last couple of years. It's, it's the four-footers. If ETSU gets to three, four feet, can they finish those? Because trying to finish against guys of Kansas – Right, caliber of players of Kansas and trying to finish against guys the caliber of Winthrop is a whole different animal. And so if you can shoot like ETSU did at Martin, where you can go 21 to 24, you know, on layups and dunks, then certainly that's going to give you a, a great chance to win the game. And I don't know that ETSU will get 24 layup chances, but they certainly can't go 50% as they've, they've done in a few games uh, against comparable competition in the Southern Conference. You know, they're going to have to have a higher percentage of that. Those are the ones I think they got to hit. Free throw shooting is always a concern. And in foul trouble and depth, right? You know, you just know you're probably not going to get a clean whistle game 
when you go to a place like this. You know, you're, there's going to be a couple of calls that don't go your way, and it, you just accept it. You move on, and, and, and that's just how it is. Some of it because there's just a higher caliber athlete on the other side, right, that can make plays that you just don't think they can make, and so it may look like something's wrong. The other thing is high-level officials don't call the game the way that young officials do, and young officials usually get in the Southern Conference or the Big South or the Atlantic Sun or whatever leagues they are, and they're trying to move up. So they're getting evaluated so much. They're trying to call everything by the book, and a lot of the the big-time officials are almost like, okay, was there really an advantage-disadvantage? You know, and I thought the way the game at ETSU Winthrop called, what because they had high-level officials in the game, was called like that. And when you get in the tournament, it's called like that. So I think, you know, that game's going to be called that way. So maybe having those officials against Winthrop will help ETSU and just understand it's going to be more physical game. They're going to let some, some stuff go that doesn't really affect anything, you know. And so it, it'll be interesting to, to see. But I think the layups for ETSU or chances – around the rim, you know, with Lucas Gasson, with uh, Jerome Rodriguez, you know, Joe Hughley's trying to work his way back. I don't know if he'll see any action today or not, but I, I think they desperately need uh, him because he is uh, – he definitely can score, you know. And plus being a senior, fifth-year guy, I think he's kind of seen the, he's kind of seen these things, been there, done that. In an environment like this, you would rather have somebody out there that, that's had some experience like that, you know, that, that maybe the moment isn't too big for them. But this is the one of the advantages of having ETSU with so many guys back this year is a lot of those guys were together last year at, at Creighton and Illinois in some of these contests. And, again, step-up level in competition, no offense to Creighton and Illinois, but, you know, Kansas number four in the nation, right? They, they've hung a lot of banners, uh, you know, with national championships. The All-American list is incredible. You know, the number of players that are in the Hall of Fame from their school is incredible. So it's it, it's going to be fun. This is one of those, if you play college basketball, right, and you grew up as a kid, this if, if, if you're on an ETSU uniform and you're not excited to be in this environment today, you know, something literally is wrong with you. Yeah, and I guess as we talk through it, you know, do you really want to go up against the size of Azabuke down low that's seven feet and David McCormick who's six foot ten and those guys are huge too 270 and 265 so uh, if your game plan isn't to go outside the arc and shoot a bunch of threes and try and beat Kansas from the perimeter is it really going to be going down low and dealing with their size I'm guessing what Steve Forbes is going to do as he's talked to us about in the past they're just going to do what they do offensively and where they get their chances is what they're going to try and exploit if they get the open three if they get the open layup you cannot miss those and you hit on free throw shooting UNCG was just six of 13 from the line and ETSU has had their issues shooting free throws as well so again converting on your opportunities the line here is just 14 and a half I looked earlier today to see how big of an underdog the Bucks were and I don't think there's a lot of people if you look that's a, that's a pretty good margin actually to be honest to to, to have a to I mean to hear it and, and I love it the, the 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 Kansas media I mean to to hear this it was like well you know Greensboro is a 12-point game you're picked to win the league, your second mid-major. I mean, this could be like a three-point game. I mean, if you hear that. Yeah. It's, so, the, it's, to me, that scares me. I, I like coming in with people like, all right, who are these guys? Sure, great. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's not a big number at all. No, it's really not. And you mentioned the Creighton game. Even go back two years ago to Xavier. Those are games that the Bucks had chances to win, and I think 99 times out of 100 would win. What was it, 21-point lead against Xavier with like 14 minutes to go, and it was, I think, 11 with 7 minutes to go against Creighton. So they've been in these big games, and Xavier at that time, if you remember, was like number 8 in the country. So, yes, they're not the storied program of Kansas, but ETSU has been right there. If they can get down to the end and be there, and honestly, I think they have a great chance to. I think that they match up very well with most teams that they're going to face. I think that without Joe Hughley, that is something that hurts them, but they've got depth, they've got options, they've got strong defenders, they've got, even early in this season, I think guys that are prepared for this type of game that – want to get this win you know more than some other groups may go in and they have the belief that they can do it too so I think that this is going to be a pretty tight game and I think that if they can execute when they do have the chances whether it be outside inside I mean that's the tough part about facing a Kansas right Uh, I talk myself into saying well you can't beat them at the three-point line well you can't beat them down low there aren't a lot of weaknesses because they're a top five team in the country so and that's fed itself over their history because when you you know put up the kind of numbers that they did early on in their program, then you start to roll and get recruits, and it just is a, a vicious circle for um, 
you know, programs that can get that early success and start to uh, get the recruits and start to win and get championships and do that throughout their history. So it's uh, it's a mind-numbing task, but it's also one that I don't think is too big for ETSU, and I expect this one to be a lot of fun, as you said, and one that they could uh, possibly pull off the upset. You know, UNCG was close. I think the Bucks are a better team than UNCG top to bottom, and if by going 8 of 31 from outside and 6 of 13 from the line, they can only lose by 12, I think Kansas does have a few things to think about going into tonight. Well, if you look at it this way, ETSU uh, back in 92 was down 20-some points in the first half and ended up going overtime and losing by three, 95-92. So it's not like the Buck teams have uh, not had some success and given some people some scares before. So, um, you know, to say the – uh, to, to quote one of my favorites, the late Karen Kemp, today's as good as any day to get a win and pull off a shocker. So 7.30 pregame show, 8 o'clock tonight. Kansas ETSU will have that for you. Steps out for a timeout. Let's, more uh, let's, skip, let's skip bold predictions. I'm sorry, let's skip uh, pros versus Jays. Save that for Thursday if that's all right with you because we're already running way over time here. Now you got plays Okay, we just want to do bold predictions. Bold predictions after this. Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. All right, bold prediction to recap. Uh, I just want to state for the record, I hate Western Carolina. I did not write any of yours down. Does that shock you? No, it does not, but I hate Western Carolina because I had the uh, four home teams and conference games winning. And with the incredible comeback from Chattanooga against the Citadel, which was a historic letdown for the Bulldogs. Uh, I just needed West Carolina, and it was a three-point game and a half, and then Sanford rattled off like 20 unanswered in the second half. So did not get that one. I know the uh, Navy over Notre Dame worked out really well. Wow. With, uh, Notre Dame winning by about 40. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, me and you both went Tampa Bay beating the Saints. and that uh, I should have also, known agreeing with you was the Yeah, that should have told us right now that that was going to be bad. And that, that was, was a one-sided bad. game, too. I mean, it was never really close. The curse no. of Teddy Bridgewater is not a real thing, as it turns out. No, you want it to be a real I thing. I do want it to be a but real thing. But it is thing. not. You I, couldn't be more wrong on Teddy Bridgewater. I'm very sentimental for Teddy. He was a former Minnesota Viking, and what a lot of people thought in Minnesota, as crazy as this sounds now, to be the future, the franchise quarterback. 34-17, to these Saints beat the Buccaneers. Uh, I had ETSU winning by three scores or more against Mercer and boy at halftime. Well, it looked brilliant. I was it? dislocating it really my shoulder, patting myself on the back at how fantastic that that prediction looked and Mercer just came out of the locker room and ETSU's offense stalled a bit. They didn't score in the second half aside from the one touchdown that they picked up the first and 31 on that same drive. They scored that touchdown to make it 38 to 26, but 38-33 is not three scores. It's only five points, so that didn't work out for me. And I also said that there would be a 1,000 yards or more of combined offense in the Furman and Wofford game. I knew this was going to skew heavy one way or another. You had to know that it was either going to be a war of attrition 
a in the trenches dog fight where it would be tough to move the ball and it was going to be a low scoring game where the team that just was tougher right more hard-nosed one or it was going to be an air it out over the top not air it out literally but uh, you're going to have the run setting up the pass and the quarterbacks that were going to probably throw like 20 combined times are going to have 200 yards each and each team was going to rush for 300 yards each but total offense that day 601 yards i was 399 yards short of getting that bowl prediction correct Oh for three for me. Oh for three for you. I, I, I thought it was genius. I thought it was a genius pick. Mike. I thought it was, and I clearly. Who would have knew ETSU Mercer had a thousand yards, or did they? Or uh, not, I don't so. know. That's I think question. it was just shot. Let me try I and look it up shot. right before as you're closing the show. Yeah, there you go. All right, what do we got? Uh, Thursday will be the next episode, right? Thursday next episode we'll talk pros versus Jays. Just then short, we'll nine hundred forty yards, so sixty yards. Oh short. man. We'll recap ETSU Kansas plus ETSU women take on Radford 11 a.m. So we'll have that for you. 7.30 tonight, ETSU Kansas pregame show, 8 o'clock. Opening tap on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Back Thursday with another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. Mike, thanks for tuning in, buddy. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I didn't contribute at all. I just listened. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jay Sandos. uh, I mean, listen. I hope you don't die, by the way, before the broadcast tonight. You sounded terrible the whole day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fair point. Buccaneer Sports Network. See ya.